the greatest Masamara photo competition. This is the Wildlife Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from Wild Eye, and I'm going to be handing over to Andrew, and he's sharing an interview he did with Adam Bannister, who manages the greatest Masamara photo competition. Now, with fantastic prizes and an esteemed panel of judges, the greatest Masamara photographer of the year competition raises funds for important boots-on-the-ground conservation initiatives while promoting the Mara as a year-round world-class wildlife destination. I'm going to hand over to Andrew, and um, I hope you guys enjoy this one. Oh, and go and enter the competition. It's amazing. Excellent. Uh, so, Adam Bannister, thank you so much for taking the time to connect with me today. Um, where in the world are you right now? <laughs> uh, afternoon. Oh, hello. Hello, wherever you are in the world. Um, I'm, right now, I'm sitting in the Masai Mara, the northern part of the Masai Mara, um, which is my home. I've been, I've been in this part of the world for the last five years. Excellent. And recently moved from Angama to House in the Wild, correct? That's where we find you now? Yeah, so I was at I was at Angama for four and a half years, and then and then decided it's um, time for time for a change, and so I've come up to the northern parts to to a little conservancy called Enenkishu. So um, we're using Enenkishu, Olchoro, and Lemek, those three conservancies, at a lovely little, um, very small, six kind of cottages place called House in the Wild. Well, that's uh, maybe some sometime we need to connect on that and do a little a feature on that at some stage. But um, today we're going to be chatting about the greatest Masamara competition. And, um, you know, you've pretty much been involved in this competition from its uh, early days, Adam. Yeah, from its almost from its inception, which, um, wow, we've, we've, I think we're in our sixth year. <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredible how, how time flies. Um, the competition was, was set up. Um, initially by, by uh, the Angama CEO, Steve Mitchell, um, but the team from, from Angama have come across to essentially host and put together this photographic competition with the intention of, of the Mara as a whole owning it. Um, we've always played the role of, of hosts of, this, of the competition, but it really is our intention that everyone feels like they have a little bit um, involved in, in within it. And it's a it's a it's a very different competition in many ways, and we're going to touch on some of the things around entries and prizes and that sort of stuff. But the sole purpose, well, the, the main focus of this competition, apart from showcasing the diversity and the beauty of the Mara across the seasons, um, is really to actually put back into some of the the conservation initiatives that are being run around this ecosystem. Is that correct? Yeah, I think um, you know, Andrew, when we when we started it, it had a, a couple of of pillars or foundations that we wanted to build on one of which was like you said the the breaking of the myth that the mara is is only a, a few months season destination it actually is a, an incredible destination 12 months of the year and we wanted to showcase fantastic imagery year round so that was kind of pillar number number one the second thing was we wanted to reward um, and provide a platform for photographers you know this is a way to showcase photographers work from across the world and build a bit of a name for a couple of guys who, who come and spend so much time in the Mara. The third one, which was a really lovely one, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, was to reward the guides, the actual guys who put the hard work, the hard graft in the field and know the animals intimately. And then the fourth one was to give away, to give back to the greater Mara community and support some of the work that's going on, the boots on the ground stuff that, that happens on a day-to-day -day basis, largely 
largely unknown, to be honest. Yeah, um, so maybe that's the perfect lead into um, some of these conservation partners that uh, you guys have got. And um, before I mention them, have, has this group of, I think it's currently six, if I'm not mistaken, has this group of partners changed much over the years that the competition has been running? Or are these guys pretty s- stable um, and always involved? Yeah, so, so it's, it is six, um, and they have been the same throughout. We decided to stick with some consistency. And also, we've chosen a, a really nice, diverse range of conservation partners from some that are very well-known through to some that are less well-known. And we just feel that they all fit very nicely together, covering all different aspects of what people want to, to kind of uh, support. Because one of the things that's crucial about this competition is it comes with an entry fee. Mm. Um, and that entry fee goes 100% to whichever one of the six organizations you decide to support. Yeah. So we always used to say to people, rather than donating $100 to the Mara Conservancy, for example, you could just enter five photographs. And that way your work is being showcased and that $100 is still going to where you would like it to go. And of course, puts you in the running for potentially a really nice prize. But um, let's focus on on those um, kind of conservation partners that you've got there. The first one, the Angama Foundation, and the tagline there is doing well by doing good. Do you want to just expand a little bit on, on that? Yeah, so this is obviously the foundation startup and or set up by Angama Mara, the lodge itself. And their focus was always to do kind of take these little micro donations, put them into big groups, big sums of money, and then do good work with that. And by doing good work with that, you can kind of keep the community, the, the, the land, um, all, 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 in, all in a happy space. And so they always the efforts went into conservation, into the, the healthcare. Um, into the education of the of the, the surrounding communities, and it was basically trying to make sure that it was the communities that surround the Mara that benefit, and not just you know the handful of individuals, but rather the greater community as as a whole. Yeah, and I mean, just as we go through this, I think people that are listening will see the holistic approach to the partners and the way that they've been chosen coming together. So the next one is the Anne K. Taylor Fund, and their tagline here is alleviating human wildlife conflict, which is a massive thing in an open system like the Mara. Yeah, so so Anne, in the Anne K. Taylor Fund, it's probably the least known, but one of the most hardest working organizations within the Mara. And it just comes from being a, an organization that is on the ground doing the job and is not spending all the money on the marketing and, and the telling of the stories of what they're doing. I mean, Anne's team has been for years and years doing the real difficult stuff of desnaring and going from, from village to village and building bomas and working with local women and local schoolgirls to make sure that people stay within the system. And, and you know, there, there's so much, so much stuff going wrong and it's difficult, really difficult um, places. And she spends a lot of her time trying to alleviate that, try to work with the people. So it is probably the least known, but one of the most impactful organizations that exists in, in the Mara. And, and I'm sure in desperate need of, of funding, um, you know, for that, that kind of work, which takes up a lot of resources when you're giving herders and locals, um, you know, predator-proof bomers and, and those sort of things, running patrols. For sure, and like um, I, and like I say, and like I say, not not pouring the money into into telling people about it, but rather just pouring the money into the actual on the ground work. Yeah, and the third one here, Adam, is obviously the Mara Conservancy, which you know, for anyone who's visited uh, our camp in the Mara Triangle, or um, you know, supported us during our COVID times, this was a big one where you know we saw their um, earnings through park fees drop dramatically during that COVID period. Um, just an incredible. 
um, organization that is doing some really good work in protecting and maintaining that ecosystem in the triangle on that southern border with Tanzania. Yeah, I think I think everyone who's, who's visited the Mara will know that the, the Mara Triangle, the Mara Conservancy is kind of the crown jewel of of the Mara ecosystem, and it's it's beautiful, and the, the landscape is fantastic, and the roads are well maintained, and the, the anti poaching units are good. It's a solid, um, transparent, and very honest um, organisation. Yeah, and it it makes sense to keep supporting the work that they do because they they are heavily heavily reliant upon upon gate fees, park fees, and so mm. this is another just a small little way of, of of helping them out. And, you know, I think many of us hope that this is the blueprint to be expanded into the national reserve side. And, you know, you talk about the transparency for, for anyone who hasn't done this. And I always pointed out to our guests when we're flying out of that Mara Serena airstrip is to have a look at the, um, the monthly report. And it can be, I can guarantee you, if you're listening to this in the Mara today, the 28th of February, on the 1st of March tomorrow, you can go to that board and the monthly report will be up there. They'll tell you how many snares they've taken out, exactly how funds have been used and what their focus is for the next month. And I think that's the sort of transparency that you're talking about when it comes to conservation and uh, management that is needed in an area like the Mara Triangle. Yeah, 100%. Um, the next one here, Mara Elephant Project. Um, now, these guys are doing some amazing work. I've uh, you know, been fortunate enough to fly with uh, Mark Goss uh, down in the South Rift Valley and uh, just you know, seeing some of the work that's, and hearing about some of the work that they're doing. Unbelievable stuff. Yeah, so they, they were obviously set up in an attempt to reduce elephant poaching, um, which they did very, very successfully. And to the, to the extent where they had to start shifting their, their focus um, less from the anti-poaching and more into the, the human-elephant conflict. And, you know, up in this, especially in the northern part of the Mara, where, there's, where there are community lands and, 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 and farmlands surrounding this ecosystem, you do see that um, that conflict, it, it is real. And the Mara Elephant Project helps not just with elephants, but with, with all different human-wildlife conflict issues. And then they, they give back to the community. I mean, if, some, if someone is unfortunately hit by a buffalo or an elephant or whatever, the Elephant Project, they're, they're first there. They're really willing. They'll be flying people out. They'll be doing all they can to kind of break down that tension, that conflict that exists between the animals and, and the humans who, who share the landscape. And they're doing active research on this. I, I seem to recall Mark mentioning um, a sort of a, a little study that they've got on the, the area of land where they're based and they're planting crops and they're, they're analyzing and looking at how wildlife are coming in, accessing and utilizing those crops in order to better inform decisions to kind of put in mitigation measures. Yeah, so I, so I think the dream is to try and work out what crops um, – can be planted in and acting as natural defenses or barriers against elephants and against hippos. Um, so they're looking at a lot of oil things, you know, lavenders, tea tree, very, these essential oil plants and that, that elephants and hippos don't like. And they're trying to work out if they plant them in certain amounts, whether they can prevent naturally the elephant from coming into a crop rather than having to put up a big fence and rather, you know, the troubles that come along with fencing. So they are very proactive. They're very scientific. Um, they're very outgoing in their approach, and it's really a very one well-run organization as well. Yeah. Um, so on to the next one, and probably the best known of all of the um, kind of conservation partners, the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust. Uh, Kenya's mobile veterinary saviors is the tagline beneath the, the headline here. Yeah. So so I think I think Sheldrick are best known for their work probably within with just now, the, in Nairobi, the, the elephant orphans yeah. there. But what we decided was to try and work more towards work 
with them on their, their mobile veterinary unit and try and um, – because they do a lot of good. So if any animal gets speared or snared or anything goes wrong with it in the Mara, the, the go-to is to call the Sheldrick um, mobile vet. And they will come and they will do what they need to do. They'll, you know, they'll dart and they'll remove whatever they can do. And so this was our way of rewarding them and saying thank you for the work and the hours you put in um, within the Mari ecosystem, as well as further afield within within Kenya. Yeah, I'm just reading this last little um, bit here it, that in 2022 alone, the trust rescued more orphaned elephants than the previous five years combined. That's yeah, a pretty, significant pretty uh, statistic. And I would imagine it obviously plays, uh, you know, a lot of that can be attributed to the drought. But um, thankfully, they've been able to receive funds to enable them to do this kind of work. Yeah. And, if, and of course, they are, of all the organizations, they're the one that's um, the, best, the best known, the most well known. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a, an honor to have them, have them on, the, on the list. Yeah. And then the final one, Adam, the, the Mar Trust, Sustainable Community Development. Yeah. So this is this is another one which isn't as well known, but does extraordinary work. And the team there, it's a small little team. They're mainly, they've, you know, they've got their hands in many pies. But I would say to sum it up, it's it's working with the largely the women um, who to try and make sure that the women benefit from the Maasai Mara existing as a tourism destination, and and not just not just the men. Um, mm. And I think it's it's a really there's a lot of women initiatives, there's a lot of girl initiatives. They do work across the the board with with communities, but I would say that a lot of their focus is on providing water, sanitation, healthcare, school bursaries, um, and empowering them through through bead work and leather work and honey and all things like that. So it's one of those ones that is looking at, at the community rather than actually the wildlife. Amazing. And just to, to bring that back now that we've worked through this, you'll see that we've got um, everything from the community development to um, aerial surveillance, um, mobile vets, uh, the actual conservancy itself, human wildlife conflict, and then social upliftment. So it really, the, the partners that have been chosen, um, you know, it's not by chance. This is very clearly by design and speaks to what you were saying, you know, contributing to those four pillars. Yeah, and it's exactly why we haven't we haven't shifted them over the over the years because we want people to to realise that these are organisations that are all all in here for the long run. Um, they're all they're all an integral part of the Mara ecosystem, and they all yeah. deserve any support they can get. I guess one of the downsides of changing your partners is that yes, you've got this capital injection from this sort of initiative in one year, but the next year you're on your own again, and that does nothing for the growth of these sort of um, conservation partners. So, speaking to that point, the, the the funds raised so far to be split across these, because obviously when someone enters, and we'll touch on that now, they're able to choose the cause closest to their heart and contribute directly to that. Yeah, exactly, and we've we've differentiated. Um, between international entrance and Kenyan entrance. So an international entry fee will come with a $20 price tag and, and locally a thousand shillings, which is probably sitting at about eight or $9. Um, so it's done like that to try and encourage local people using their own um, their own landscape. It's, the the Maasai Mara is Kenyan. And so it's trying to encourage more and more Kenyan entries, mm -hmm. which I believe is, I believe is working quite nicely. And then that, 100% of whatever you donate when you enter goes to the, the cause, and Angama very kindly um, covers all all charges on top of that. And all the administration costs, because this this is a big event to manage as well. So it's incredible. So just to be clear, 100% of your entry fee is going to the foundation of your choice um, when you're entering an image into this competition. 
Yeah, completely. And I, and I think people don't really understand the, the behind-the-scenes work in, in setting up and, and running a competition like this. Um, it's substantial, and I think that Angama really should be uh, very proud of, of what they've managed to achieve here. Most certainly. So, um, Adam, just a, a kind of a, a ballpark figure on how, mu how much funds you believe have, has been raised through the competition over the last six years. I think it's currently sitting at about the $200,000 mark. Um, I'm, I'm not sure exactly, but I think that's, mm. I think that's kind of where it is. It's amazing. Um, and speaking about process on these on this competition, obviously a local or an international comes along, they enter, they decide to enter their image. There's some details on the website and the specs of the image. Um, they choose who their funds are going to. It then gets put into this whole system. And it's each month the judges um, have to go through and work out which are the top images. Now, who's judging this year? Um, this, this year, so we've got four of us. So um, we've got Piper McKay, we've got Kuchuran Rupra, uh, Federica Veronesi, and then myself, Adam Bannister. So there's four of us. Um, we meet uh, virtually um, every month. We have, just to, to explain in full transparency, the way it works is we, we get all the images that come in and we go through them individually without talking to each other. And we come up with our, with our top five individually. What we do is the first round of judging, we basically choose our favorite one that we insist that gets dis discussed and spoken about in the next level, next round, mm -hmm. and then our next favorite four. So we'll choose top photo. We know that that's going to be spoken about. Next four, it depends if there's some overlap. So Piper will vote, Gutierrez will vote, um, Federico will vote, and I'll vote. And then that'll all independently go to Sue, uh, who, who kind of collates it and puts it all together. And then we have stage two, and at stage two, we get online and we and we literally hash it out and we talk about every single photograph that's made it into our shortlist. We talk about the pros, the cons, and everything like that, and we ultimately come up with five finalists from from each month. Excellent. And I, I know there are guidelines on the website, so I don't want to look at that. But what is it that you are looking for when you are judging this this competition? What are the what are you looking for in an image? Yeah, and that's, I mean that is the. <laughs> That's the ten thousand dollar question. <laughs> um, literally, yeah, literally. I think everyone's obviously got their own. Everyone approaches a, a photograph in a different way, and so we've, we have we have shifted and changed the the judging panel from year to year to some degree. This judging panel is the same as last year's because we really got on very well together, and we thought that we were we were choosing some great images, and there was some good energy, and it was being shown in the in the, in the shots that were being chosen. Um, but obviously, we respect that there are four photographers involved here, and each one is going to come at each photo with a different kind of angle. So we do have some rough kind of guidelines, as you, as you say. But for me, for me, I look at an image and I and I think, is it memorable? Like, if, if I had to say to someone, if I go through ten photos and I go through them very very quickly, out of those ten, was there one that made me want to go back to it and look at it again? Mm. And that starts to sh to kind of work me in the right direction. So you will will get you know we can get anything from 100, 200, sometimes even 300, 400 photos coming in in a month, and I will relatively quickly in that my very first round to myself go through them, and then if I like them and I want to see them again, I'll literally just mark that photograph, and I'll get through the photos and I'll have suddenly a bigger batch of photos that are worthy of of me looking at them again, and then I'll start to pull in the the different criteria that we have chosen and start to see which of those. Um, best fits what, what we're after. 
Absolutely. And this is probably one of the biggest challenges when it comes to a competition. And I'll speak to to our guests on this all the time when we're on safari is that, you know, when they're choosing an image for this competition, there's an emotional attachment to it. Um, you know, we, as photographers, we, we have a slightly different photographic memory and it doesn't matter where I was. If you show me an image, I'll remember who was with me in the vehicle at that time, what had led up to that moment. And, you know, so there's a lot of emotion attached to an image. Now, for someone to go through their catalog, find the selection, make it work to all the rules and regulations of the competition, put it into the mix and then be left at the mercy of the judges. It's so <laughs> difficult because you guys don't have that emotional connection to the image. And so often people will think, well, geez, I, maybe I missed the mark. But, you know, there is a very personal element to it. But, I, you know, when I'm looking at images, I'm very much the same as you. Something that stands out, something that's different. And I think, you know, we, it's often not the big and hairy. So it's not always a leopard. Last year's winning image was a pair of giraffe. And, you know, it's, yes, then you start to look at the photographic skill behind it. It's the subject, the content. And then, of course, the editing, which is also, I, I can imagine, a, sometimes a bit of a topic for debate um, amongst the judges on some of these images. But it can be very difficult for people to go and select the image and then not fully understand why it may not you know, get the kind of kudos that uh, they believe it is worth. Yeah, I, I think I think what's important for everyone to know is that Obviously, every any competition is, is subjective, and you've got here you've got four opinions, um, and yeah. you're trying to you're trying to meet um, somewhere in the middle of four opinions. But we are we're looking at fresh, new, creative ideas on a, on a scene that has been photographed billions of times. So every you know the Masai Mara is the mecca of of wildlife photography, and you've got every big name photographer in the world coming here, plus anyone else who wants to become a photographer here. And so every scene theoretically may have been shot. So what we're looking for is, is new, fresh spins on that, whether it's a different angle or a new lighting or a, or a slightly creative way of showing it. We're, we're really looking at fresh perspectives on everyday scenes. That, that, is, that is our drive. And of course, there's lots of other stuff to it. It could be, could be a rare animal. It could be an incredible action scene. It could be you know, technically a very difficult photo to have taken and it, it will draw that emotional response, whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, if you can take even a picture of just a blade of grass in a very fresh way that makes us look at it and go, wow, I've, I've never thought of that, then you're really on, on the right track. Yeah. So so keep in mind, you've got four different judges and, you, and you, when you're entering, you're trying to, to find something that appeals to all four at the end of the day if, if you're going to win this. Um, and I, I think what's important to remember is that the, and I don't know if I said this before, but the, the, the Mara is, a, is a, a mecca of wildlife photography. And everyone who ever wants to photograph wildlife is here or, or comes here or wants to come here. And so all every scene has been photographed so many times. So what we're really encouraging, what we're looking for is a fresh, a fresh perspective, a new stance, a new you know, creative way, a new, new aspect, a new whatever it may be. But something that we look mm. at and go, wow, I, I haven't seen that before. Or, Isn't that a, a creative way of showing something that gets seen all the time? So we, we put a high, a high emphasis on that. And of course, we do reward things like rarity or, a, or an incredible action scene or something that's technically very difficult to execute or something that's yes. got an incredible emotional response. But at the end of the day, if you can get all of those criteria and provided in a way that is has a fresh spin to it, then yeah. then you're really away for the races. So it's four people trying to decide on, on that. And I, I get that it's challenging. I'm, I'm 100% aware of that. But we're trying to be quite clear that 
we have a criteria, we're judging towards a criteria, but yes, we don't come at it with the same emotions that you might have taken out when you <laughs> took that photo. Well, you know, and, and even if that is the case and you've gone through and you've submitted your, your image and it, and it doesn't place, um, you know, it's still a win-win. I think the process of actually going through finding an image, spending time trying to to look at what is your best image that you want to put forward, that in itself is a great process. Second to that is the fact that you're contributing to some great organizations and enabling them to do the good work. So, you know, even if you're not coming out on top, it's a, it's a great process. Um, speaking yeah. I've broken the mold a little bit because you award the photographer, but you also award the local guide at the same time. Yeah. So this, this when we were setting the competition up, we were trying to work out what, um, you know, what we were trying to achieve and how to keep things fresh and, and what would what would really work at, at the at the very core and foundation of what we'd like to set up. And that was the fact that we needed to reward the guide who spends all the time driving the car in the hot sun gets to know the animals, positions your car in the right place, and often says to the guys, yeah, how about taking a photo now? So he's essentially, he's, he's doing, he or she um, is doing a, a large majority of the work. And mm. so the, the way we rewarded them, you know, we've gone through different iterations of this, but there has always been a, a core thing, which is to reward the guide. And, you know, we started in the beginning by giving away a little vehicle, and the routi. What we've now shifted towards is, is more of an experiential um, reward. So we've sent, we've sent guides, um, down to Zimbabwe and to the Zambezi, you know, um, whitewater rafting. And, and so our intention is to try and provide a way that we can say thank you to the photographer, to the guides on the photographer's behalf. I, I think it's such a lovely, um, a lovely gesture and a, a, an incredible reward for those local guides on the ground as well. So, um, if you if you if you're listening to this and are wanting to enter and you somehow can't remember your local guide's name, I think you need to get that sorted up. But um, it really is quite special to to be able to reward these guys as well. Um, Adam, I think you know that that pretty much sums it up. We've got some hopefully some more chats lined up with uh, some of these conservation organisations in the future as well. Um, I know you guys, it is month end, so you're probably just about to get stuck into your um, editing selections over the next couple of days. Um, last little word of advice for someone wanting to enter and and uh, potentially stand a chance of winning the ultimate prize at the end of the year. Yeah, I, was, I would just say to people, um, think about what everyone else is taking photos of and then don't enter that. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. But like, like, like when you, no, but if you if you see um, everyone's got big cameras in the Mara, and if you see a lion, ninety nine percent of the lion shots you're going to be entered are going to be the face of a lion. Rather, take out a smaller smaller lens, a shorter lens, a wider lens, and get the animal and the environment because often that shows more of a story. Often it allows you to to show your creativity because how creative can you really get on a on a zoomed-in picture of a male lion, you can't really do too much from a from a fresh perspective point of view. But if you were to zoom out and show some lens flare or show some, I don't know, some lovely clouds, kinetic whatever, sky, yeah, yeah, so, show some composition, show some show some skills that you've got with composition, that immediately will elevate you to to be looked at again in terms of a, a judging kind of process. Yeah, think outside of the box, I guess is the uh, is the phrase here. And, 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 and I've always said to people, when I started in the Mara, which was five years ago, for the first two years, I, I pretty much relied on my, on my very big lenses, and, and now I hardly take them out. Yeah. Um, because I've learned that, that 
the more time you spend in the Mara, the really the wider you want to get. <laughs> that's yeah. possibly just me, but that's what I think. When all when all the variables come together, it's a pr pretty spectacular sky to to um, feature in an image. Adam. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your work on this competition and um, for sharing some of the inside um, tips that you have and for giving us a little bit more context. So, yeah. guys, again, uh, the, the greatest Maasai Mara, um, the, the prize. We didn't really touch on the prize, Adam. That's probably the yeah, main me, reason that people are going to enter. Yeah. Let's tell them what that is. <laughs> yeah, so, and, but before I tell you the prize, I, I also just want to extend a thank you to the Wildlife because over the years you've been incredibly supportive and You've got some of the greatest guests and, and some of the best photographers out there. So um, I want to say thank you for that. And in terms of the prize, the winner, we've just we've gone with the decision of only rewarding the top photo financially. Um, and the winner gets $10,000, which is a substantial amount of money, um, plus five nights. So Angama came to the party with five nights safari for two people. Um, and then, like I say, then we will reward the guide as well. And that's usually a safari to another African country. Unbelievable. That is a significant prize. Excellent. Adam, thank you so much for your time and your willingness to connect on this. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, look forward to catching up with you on this and perhaps some other stuff in the next uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, sure thing. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Adam. Cheers. Bye. Cheers.